company that's really thought about brands, I think generally gets us really excited. I think there are just some companies where you like go onto their website and like you're just excited to be on there. Like they've really thought about the look and feel of the brand, the logo, the, the tone of voice with which they write. Um, anything sort of distinctive, unusual, sort of modern there gets us really excited because it's not necessarily a given that like most companies have that. Um, so that's definitely number one because you know if brand resonates with us like we think it was going to resonate with the uk as a whole and do really well on tv hey guys welcome back to the back yourself show this week on the show i'm delighted to have hannah Regwell. she is from channel 4 ventures she's a the principal there they're a bit unique they're a bit different uh, but it's super exciting to hear about what they do and i think you'll take a lot away from this episode um hannah's great uh, but i'll let her introduce herself so hannah uh, imagine it's the first time we've met tell me what you do and uh, where you're from Hey Tom, well thanks firstly for having me on the podcast. So as you just said, I'm a, a, a principal at Channel 4 Ventures. We are a media for equity fund uh, that invests Channel 4's TV advertising into consumer startups. Um, I'm originally from Worcestershire, but like been based in London for the best part of 10 years. So how did you, so how did you, we're going to come back to the media for equity thing because I've got literally no idea what that means. I mean, I do now, but I didn't know when we first met. But the, um, what is, um, so how did you get into venture? Did you go straight into this or did you do the traditional route? Because you're a smart cookie. So did you go and work for like the big four or something? Yeah, exactly that. So after I graduated, I went to join uh, PwC Strategy and as a, a strategy consultant, which basically means you're sort of working with corporates or working with uh, investors to help make investment decisions with corporates you're advising on their strategy uh, i did that for about five years got to a point where five years i mean that's quite an innings like you must have liked it <laughs> it's you know consulting is a really good place to work and like a really good place to start your career and i i really enjoyed my time there Towards the end, like about, when I was getting to the full five-year mark, I definitely did feel like I wanted to do something different. Started looking for sort of, you know, other career options, um, and the Channel Four Ventures job came up. I just thought it sounded really interesting. I'd done quite a lot of work in strategy and for media, tech, education businesses, and so the Channel Four investment role seemed to sort of suit that quite well. So when so. Digging into that a little bit. So we um, undoubtedly, like a lot of founders will come from a consultancy background. I come from a consultancy background um, uh, for a short time, but I was awful at it. So luckily moved back into sales, thank God. Um, and the, um, for all the people I was giving bad advice to. I think, so do you, so when, um, for people in those roles, like I think it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Like they, um, there's no, it's not always a clear path. There'll be people listening now who will be in the big four um, and there'll be people who are maybe at McKinsey or whatever. Or like we had Ben Legg on the other week who's um, over in McKinsey too. And you're spending a lot of time seeing a lot of businesses, but they tend to be massive businesses that you're consulting with, aren't they? Yeah. And there's a very you know, minor thing that you're dealing with, but it causes huge effects to that business and a scale that people can't really understand when you're in a startup. But did that? how did that equip you though to be qualified to now be able to do a great assessment because it did. But what were you learning there, which allowed you to provide great advice now, which you do over at Channel 4? Yeah, well, I think it's a few things. So I think firstly, it's the variety. So in the type of consulting that we were doing, our projects were like five, six weeks long. So that meant in any sort of given year, you're doing 10 projects, usually with 10 completely different companies, different business models, different industries. And, you know, you start to do a few years of that and actually you start 
to see you've seen like a lot of things you've seen most business models and that, I think building that on that having that bank of experience and how different companies monetize be that b2b b2c across a really broad range of industries equips you really well for going into venture because ultimately that's very similar to the venture model where you've got to quite quickly make decisions about a vast you know, a vast number of different startups who are approaching you all the time yeah yeah uh, secondly i think consulting as well is a sort of mix of you've got to be quite personable obviously it's sort of client facing but it's also kind of mm. analytical as well and so the actual work i think lends itself quite well to venture where obviously a lot of the job is networking making connections sort of building those relationships but also fundamentally sort of being able to do some quite deep analysis or get into the like legal nitty gritty as and when you need to Great. Okay. I mean, that makes perfect sense. I think that's, um, I think you, I guess, tell me if I'm paraphrasing, but your advice to, I think, people there is like, <clears throat> people get, getting that huge breadth of experience is obviously going to equip you pretty well if you want to go into venture because you see such a broad range of businesses, right? So you get to have so many different lenses to look at it. So you moved into Channel 4 Ventures. Now, Channel 4 Ventures is a lot of people who listen to be like, what the, I didn't even know they had a fund. So tell me, like, you, you obviously give advertising in return for equity. How does that work and what does it mean? And what's the kind of business that you guys look at? Yeah, great question. We obviously get asked this all the time. So if you think about normal VC investing as cash for equity, in essence, if you do a million pound deal at the point of completion, a million pounds of cash goes into the company's bank account, a million uh, pounds of equity goes to the new shareholders. What we're doing, instead of providing that cash, we're providing a million pounds advertising budget with Channel 4. So that can be used across like Channel 4 suites of channels. It can be used on our um, VOD platform, all four. And it can basically help companies to run really great marketing campaigns that maybe they otherwise wouldn't have been able to. And what kind of business is that like? I mean, tough, tough question, right? Like, so... You know, if you're, if someone's putting, writing a million pound check for your business and you've got a lot of startups that are like, I want that, I want that coin. How do you, you are obviously in a competitive situation and I hope that every founder, whenever they're, you know, raising money is always in a competitive situation. How do you guys differentiate yourself to, to someone who's putting in straight cash? Because that's a tough gig, right? Because you'll be like, if someone's taking that, like, okay, but if I get a million bucks in, I can use that to pay for salaries. I can use it to pay for product development. You're like, no, this is going on straight advertising. Yeah. So how do you how do you sell that? Yeah, I guess I mean there's a few different things. So I guess firstly, I think I mean firstly we want to go for companies that are at the right point to use TV advertising. Like we're not going after sort of companies who aren't at that stage. So when we're having discussions with founders who are at the right stage, they've got a product market fit, they're ready to scale, they're generally starting to think about marketing anyway and that could be for a variety of reasons it might be that like their digital marketing costs are just starting to soar because it's really they're just running out of like the volume of audiences they need to sort of keep hitting those growth targets that are being set um and at that point obviously moving into a different type of media so tv in this case makes a lot of sense for them um it could actually be that the founder is like really interested in just like being famous they want to build a you know, a lot of awareness um and therefore you know tv is the best media available to do that in the uk still i mean you know channel 4 alone hits like 75 percent of people every single month um 
it's got great reach. Like it's really- well, It's like a hundred percent, yeah, when it's uh, Bake Off season. <laughs> so anyone who doesn't watch Bake Off is just- It's a real question mark, isn't it? Yeah, and if you're not listening, if you listen to the show, you don't watch Bake Off, stop listening now. Okay, we don't want you here. So you predominantly work with people that sell to massive audiences. So in order to get to that stage, you're obviously seeing people that are either doing something really well that you think you can scale up, or you're reaching people that are doing something badly, and then you're like, I don't want to be there anymore. What are those habits or behaviors that you're seeing in businesses? Because you're kind of like halfway between sort of seed and series A, I would have thought. Maybe seed A, B, maybe, but that kind of, you know, it's still early stage, but they're at that inflection point where they've got a little bit of product market fit. What are some of the behaviors that you see that get you really excited that think, yeah, I'm gonna invest in that business? So a company that's really thought about brands, I think generally gets us really excited. I think there are just some companies where you like go onto their website and like you're just excited to be on there. Like they've really thought about the look and feel of the brand, the logo, the, the tone of voice with which they write. Um, anything sort of distinctive, unusual, sort of modern there gets us really excited because it's not necessarily given that like, most companies have that. Um, so that's definitely number one, because you know, if brand resonates with us, like we think it was going to resonate with the UK as a whole and do really well on TV. Let's talk about that for a second, because I, look, <clears throat> I care about brand, I really do, uh, but I'm just one person, you're seeing lots of people. Talk to me about the importance of it and why and also how, yeah, first of all, why is it so important? What does it matter? So, I mean, brand essentially is your first, someone's first impression of the company when they recall it. So I think it's important because it is, in essence, it boils down to being quite emotional, I think. And you look at one of our portfolio companies, you know, What Three Words, for example, they're, um, you know, a, essentially a mapping tool but the number of people that I have coming to me who say, I love what three words, and they are like emotional about mm. essentially like what could actually be quite you know, conceptually not that interesting. But they're really emotional about what, what, what three words has done because of the brand and the story they've managed to tell around what they're doing. Yeah, I like that. So and that, that's why it matters is because you can basically take something, a great product and make it, you know, make people love it. That's what brand is about. Okay, so I've got a good summary about this. You can tell me if this is any good or not. Okay, I see marketing as asking someone out on a date and brand being the reason that they say yes. That's interesting. Yeah, possibly. I think, yeah, I mean, marketing sort of makes someone aware of you and then branding is all around, yeah, like, why do you go through with it? Yeah. Yes, we'll run with that. Okay, fine. Okay, great. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. And do you see like, so if you had some tips, which is what we want to take away from this, if you had some tips on how to make a great brand or some basic things to avoid if someone turns up at your door, because I, look, I am, um, you know, for, for the audience, like, we went through the process of Channel 4 and we were unsuccessful. It's fine, I'm happy to admit that. And, um, but you, we went quite a long way and obviously you were attracted to our brand when we got there and we spent a lot of time worrying about it. So when you, like, what are some of the best practices you see when someone gets there? Is it that they have considered every single, 
like word on their website, the way they look, they've made it look so it stands out so it's not vanilla like everything else. Is that what gets you excited? Or is it something that's a bit pedestrian? Like what are the stuff, what kind of the best practices that people can, can employ? Or is it just breadth? Should they be doing loads of content? Oh, I think it's really good. That's a really good question. I think it, it's slightly different for different product categories. Like I think some product categories probably do lend themselves really well to like lots of content and maybe some don't. Um, I think, so I'm not, a, I'm not a branding expert. I feel like, you know, from my perspective, I feel like I sort of, we, we know good branding when we see it, but like, you know, if you ask me to create it, I'll probably be quite terrible at doing so. That's, that, that's fine. You're a customer more than a, than, than a the builder, which is great. That's fine. Yeah. So I think my advice would be to, you know, I guess start thinking about it from day one, um, or at least relatively early on in the sort of company's evolution. Cause I think that, you know, is what people remember about you. Um, if you need to maybe get some, like, can you get some branding? Can you, can you, can you hire people to be branding for you? Like a branding consultancy? Can you get, or hire somebody who's done it really well before to help you, to help you do that in-house, for example? Um, I think there's a, that's money that's, you know, maybe a bit of an investment early on, but could be quite, you know, definitely pay off later, later at a later stage. I think also a key part of it is around, understanding what you stand for and what you don't stand for. I think with lots of products, there are many, many different ways you could try to market them or what you can make your brand stand for. And you can't say all of it because it's just confusing and people are only going to remember like, you know, one or two, maybe three points about you. So you've got to be really, really clear about what you want it to be. Um, and that should feed into your branding and it should be sort of like harmonious through of everything that you're doing basically so is it are you like the most sustainable um soft drinks brand for example or are you all about you know in stakes case, are you all about like competition and being competitive like you've got to figure that out that's really good by the way i really like that but that's really good it's so nice to hear someone in the vc one actually talk openly about the power of brand because everyone else just talks about like they say things like um yeah, it's a very numbers trip and I hate it. People don't, the reality of it is that when you go onto a, uh, when someone looks at your deck for the first time or looks at your business for the first time, that window front of your business is incredibly important. And if you look better than your competitors, you're going to more likely to be invested in. I absolutely believe that. And also for your customers, if you look more credible and you look more friendly and more approachable, you are going to win more customers. That's, that's, that's the truth of it. And people forget about that all the time. Okay, fine. So brand's a big thing. Okay, so you see that a lot. What mistakes do you see with people that come to you? Because they might, obviously, they've started to see some early product market fit and you're now thinking, okay, let's try and push this out and help them scale exponentially. And there's a lot of businesses that fit that, but there must be things that you see which make you think this isn't the right business for you. What are the kind of things that you see that turn you off? We'd look for at that stage, would be like, that we're really sure that product is like the right product to scale. And I think sometimes you can, um, if you've got an okay products, like you, you might be able to get like a little way through it, but it might actually, you know, it might not have the legs to go really far in mass market and therefore it's just not going to be suitable for TV. So that's definitely something we grill ourselves quite hard on is around, are we sure this is the right product iteration to go big on? And like conversely, like, do they have the right sort of, marketing funnel to allow this tv campaign to be really effective for them because like 
being really frank, there's no point doing a massive awareness campaign if you lose most of your um, potential leads um, because you've got a really you know, badly set up website or something like that. So those are the sort of things that we generally think about because we want the TV campaign to be like as successful as possible. And it often, you know, often for certain companies, like actually we think maybe a TV campaign next year might be better rather than doing it now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like that makes sense. That makes sense. I think preparing people don't prepare for success. Yeah. A lot of the time they sort of wait for it to come. And then when it comes, they're not ready. And I think people should prepare for success. Now, another question that I, I have for you, because I think it's um, an important one. I'm always interested to hear about this. So you were super successful academically. You had a really great start to grow and you moved into to venture. What made you choose venture as opposed to being a founder because you're obviously capable of doing both. What was it that attracted you to venture as opposed to going on the, uh, what I think is the harder side of the table? Yeah, well, I think maybe that's something to do with it. In a way, it's like an easier move to go from consulting into a venture job. Whereas I think um, to become a founder, like you kind of need, like, I think, well, for me, at least I'd want like some experience working in a startup. You'd probably, you know, I'd definitely want like an idea I thought was like robust and you'd probably want to have like, worked on it for a little bit alongside an actual job to make sure it sort of had legs. So I think for me, I mean, we never say never to being a founder, but I think I definitely want to make sure I was like really committed to the idea before sort of taking the plunge. Um, I'm definitely not sort of brave enough to like just quit my job and go uh, do, it, do it just for the, the yeah. hell of it. Yeah. It's like, it's one of those things I always think if you've, um, once you know the reality from the other side of the table, how hard things are, you get a very skeptical lens because you'll be coming up with ideas and you don't have like the a superpower of being a founder is absolute naivety. You're like, I, I, I'm in the gaming space and I'm not a gamer. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I could build a gaming company. It'd be easy. Yep. You know, because that naivety allows you to do it. Whereas if I'd been in the venture space and I'd been in a gaming space, I'd be like, this is going to be really, really hard and isn't going to work out. And the probability is against me. Yeah. And so you don't take those risks in the same way. Right. So there is something about that, isn't there? Um, so for you, like, so you, you yes, yeah, so you start to go to venture. What advice would you give to other people who are thinking about getting into venture? Because it's like, it's quite a, it's, it's one of those, I think it's one of those career paths that people are unaware of actually how you get into it. And they also, at the same time, I think people think it's a cushy job when it isn't really a cushy job. It's actually quite hard, you know, like there's a lot to it and there's a lot of risk and you have to, yeah, you have to do well um, to, to progress. But what is, like, how do people get involved in it? What would be your advice to someone who's in there, you know, who's just like, I don't know, what, any age who's trying to get into the space. Yeah, well, I think, like, firstly, that's a really good point around any age. Like, I don't think it should just be limited to, like, a certain grouping. Like, all people should be looking to go into venture. That's how you get, like, the most diversity, the most um, breadth of experience. And fundamentally, venture is all about seeing the outliers and making those big bets. So, yeah, for sure, completely agree, that, like, with your point that anyone of any age should be going, should be looking, could go into it. Um, I think in terms of like how to do it, I think the a few a few things you can do to like see if you actually like the experience are things like you know going onto like crowdfunding websites, you know, see this Crowdcube, and you know look at the companies on there, see if you can pick out the companies you like, see if you can understand like why you like them, maybe come up with like a little process like how you do your DD, and maybe even make make some investments yourself 
Uh, it doesn't have to be a huge amount, but I think the actual process of putting a little bit of money at stake makes you buy into that whole process a bit more. That's quite a good way of just seeing, like dipping your toe, seeing if you actually like the activity. Um, and I think aside from that, if you want to go and have a chat, like speak to people who are in the industry as well, uh, most people I know are really friendly. And honestly, I think if you sort of reach out to people on LinkedIn with like a well thought out message that's like personalized to them saying you just like to have a quick coffee or, or a Zoom chat in the you know, new COVID world, people might, yeah, may well be quite happy to sort of give you 15, 20 minutes of their time. Um, those, things, those are two small things just to understand. I think otherwise it's just keep an eye out on job boards, um, try to make connections and see if they're doing recruitment at that point in time. Yeah, I totally, I mean, I, know, I can attest to that. Um, VCs are actually generally really nice. Yeah, you know, I won't lie, some of them are dicks, but there are, but generally, and also if you think through like asking someone for help, they probably will reach out and they probably will help you and they will give you some advice. I love that piece about, you know, dipping your toe in a crowd cube of seed. It's like, I think it's like a hundred quid is like the lowest like you can invest for. It's like, you know, just, it's hundred quid. Like, yeah, it's not a huge amount of money, but it just means that maybe, sorry, it might be a lot of money to some people. It just means, yeah, that month maybe cut back and you know just try and find the money to do a bit of dipping your toe in the water because if it matters then you're starting to learn i like the idea of putting together your own sort of dd process okay two more questions one what is getting you really excited in like investment space right now what when it comes across your desk you're like damn i want a piece of that action i'm seeing quite a lot at the moment so i think something that i'm seeing quite a lot of innovation in i'm just kind of really enjoying is around drinks and this is both like in alcohol and non-alcohol um so in non-alcohol it's brought two categories right so there's um low and no alcohol so you know spirits without any booze in um alcohol free beer those types of things it's a massive growth sector i think it's a really exciting area because i think there's just general holistic trends towards people being healthier like they maybe don't want to drink as much um, or they're being more selective about what they do drink uh, and there's a lot of innovation going on in that sector. Um, I think also on the soft drink side, just seeing like a lot of interesting companies coming up, like lots focused on, again, limited sugar, the sort of healthy trends, and then like a few of them might be focused on sustainability as well. That is also, I think, something that's quite exciting. Um, I appreciate like actually both of those are like not traditional like venture, venture business models necessarily, but I think um, that's certainly something that we find quite exciting and also companies fundamentally where TV can be a really powerful driver of their growth. So that's something that we're looking at. Okay, great. No, I like that a lot. Okay. Um, I should tell you, I've got three more questions. Okay, one, top tip for every single founder. What would you say to every founder if you could say one thing to them? Um, I would say look after yourself. I think it's really easy to get um, burnt out. I think especially in the sort of working from home world where it's really easy to be like really productive, let your personal life bleed, or work life bleed into, your, bleed into your personal life. I think people just need like be able to feel free to step away from the laptop when they can and you know go for a run, do some yoga, whatever makes them get that bit of headspace back. And I think importantly for a founder, if you're doing it, the rest of your team is going to feel able to, able to do it as well. And that as a sort of company culture, I think is quite important, like being able to take a, like, you know, a bit of time for yourself. What is your top 
productivity tip for people um, because I think you know I, I say on pretty much every show people should focus on being productive not busy um, but obviously you know you work in a space where you have to look at a lot of deals and do a lot of things and also um, run lots so how do you keep yourself productive and what's your top tip? Um, so my top tip aside from the general make sure you get enough exercise and sleep and all that aside from that I think key productivity for me is like trying to avoid multitasking as much as possible because it absolutely for me at least destroys my ability to concentrate and to do any deep work so in the covid world i've actually started to do things where i like just block off like monday morning is silence so i just spent the whole monday morning doing like the most pressing deep thinking task that he's doing that week and i also try to protect like the whole of wednesday as well as far as possible Again, because it basically means that the rest of the days they get filled up with meetings, but I have a, basically you know half a day, a whole day to actually really concentrate on doing some deep work, like analysis, like thinking about things. And for me, I can't do that if I only have like half an hour slots in between meetings. Yeah, I love that. That's a really great piece of advice. Solid. Listeners, listen to that. All right, look, you've been great as always. Uh, full disclosure for our listeners, this is the second time we've recorded this because I messed up on the audio the first time, so I can only apologize. Um, so if we do cut in bits from the other bit, so what, it's all great. Okay, all right, well look, this has been great. Thanks so much.